0: Welcome back to a special episode of Ohio Politics Explained, the last time I am your host edition. I know it's kind of hard to say, but this week we're explaining why we can't say who's in charge of public education in Ohio, what a speaker Jim Jordan would mean for the state, why turnover plagues the Secretary of State's office, and we dive deep into the data on abortions from 2022. Joining me this week is the new host of HOPE, Haley B. Miller. Good to be here. Excited, but also sad that this is your last episode. I know. Haley enjoys my love of dry humor and black cats, and I think she's going to do a fantastic job. Hope so. Big shoes to fill. (laughs) I hate that phrase. I've I've gotten that a lot about taking over all sides, but no. I have small shoes, and you will more than fill them. Thank you. Our first topic is the Ohio Department of Education and whether, well, if it exists. Yeah, (laughs) this has been a very confusing week on the education
1: front. The new Department of Education and Workforce was supposed to take over on Tuesday, but there's a lawsuit over it. And Governor DeWine said... Before the deadline, that eh, just kidding. We're going to go ahead and go forward with at least parts of this.
0: Yeah, it's kind of complicated, but the simple story, hopefully, simple story, is that when Ohio passed its budget in June, lawmakers added about a thousand pages restructuring the Department of Education. This included things like getting rid of ODE and renaming it the Department of Education and Workforce, or Do, as I like to call it, Do the Do. Yeah, that's what Dewine did on Tuesday. He did the Do. But anyway, so Do was supposed to get a new director appointed by the governor. And then all the education policy responsibilities handled by the State Board of Education or supposed to be transferred to that director. But some members of the state board thought that was unconstitutional, and a judge named Karen Phipps said there was reason to believe that those board members might be right, might succeed on the merits in the legal term. So she granted a temporary restraining order. Basically, she blocked parts of the budget from taking effect. And that sounds simple, but remember those 1,000 pages? Yeah, the restraining order didn't include all of them. Specifically, the plaintiffs forgot to include the part eliminating ODE. And that's where Governor DeWine came in and said, hey, if ODE doesn't exist anymore and do can't be created, then who pays for schools? And he's like, so do is just going to exist. Right. And
1: the bigger argument that he's made for this is twofold. He feels like without an active Department of Education, the state can't pay local districts and they also can't approve voucher applications. He says as long as he doesn't do anything particularly active, like appoint a new director or start taking away powers from the boards, then it should be a-okay. But there's already some disagreement about that.
0: Yeah. The the plaintiffs filed a motion to clarify, which is essentially like, hey, judge, what exactly did you mean by your order? Because we don't think DeWine's interpretation is fair. They called it grandstanding and potentially a blatant violation. But we'll have to kind of wait and see what the judge decides. When are we expecting a decision? So briefing is due October 16th. The TRO, that temporary restraining order, was extended to October 20th. So probably sometime around there. And in the meantime, I guess
1: we'll just hang out in this strange limbo that we find ourselves in.
0: Yeah. I mean, so if you go to the Ohio Department of Education's website, it still says Ohio Department of Education. It does not say due. You know they had the website ready. so yeah. But they did not do the due, at least online. Our second topic is Congressman Jim Jordan, who is officially running to be the speaker of the U.S. House of Representatives. For those of you who don't live and breathe politics, Kevin McCarthy, the old speaker, was ousted this week after eight Republicans voted with the Democrats to remove him. No Republican from Ohio voted to get rid of Kevin McCarthy. But Haley, you've been covering this. So I got to ask, what chances does Jordan have? It's hard to say at this point. He is going up for the position against the House
1: Majority Leader, Steve Scalise, who in some ways is kind of seen as the heir apparent in the House. And he has a lot of respect within the Republican caucus. But then again, so does Jim Jordan. And Jordan also has the Trump effect, you know, to some degree. uh, Trump has not endorsed in the Speaker's race at this point. But he and Jordan are really tight. And Jordan will perhaps have more of an ability to rein in some of the conservative hardliners that created this issue in the first place. But it's been interesting because in the past, he said he didn't really want this job. He right now has a very powerful chairmanship on the House Judiciary Committee that's allowed him to investigate Hunter Biden, the FBI, things like that. And so... But with Kevin McCarthy out, he listened to a lot of his colleagues who were saying, you know, you should really put your hat in the ring. And now I guess we'll see what happens.
0: Yeah. And that could also take a couple of weeks, right? Like they could be leaderless for a bit.
1: Yeah. They have someone right now kind of filling in on the interim. uh, Representative Patrick McHenry, I think. And... It's not totally clear from what I've read what kind of powers an interim speaker has. I did find out today that the interim speaker is not in line to be president if something happens. Yeah, good to
0: know. So
1: I don't know how long it'll take. The House Republican Caucus is pretty fractured right now, and the vote to oust McCarthy certainly did not help that.
0: Our third topic is Ohio Secretary of State Frank LaRose. His office has been plagued by turnover as dozens of employees have left in recent months, some of whom helped have run Ohio's elections for years. And they wrote some pretty interesting exit interviews, which Haley and our colleague Jesse obtained. And well, I'm just going to read one rather than try to describe it because I think that's the best. So here's one person who said, how many more dedicated and talented staff members will it take walking out the door before management takes a serious look at the source of the problem and finally creates a solution? And someone else said, no mistakes, right? Because he wants to have a perfect track record when he runs for Senate. The he, we assume there, is Frank, who Mm -hmm. is running for U.S. Senate. And then this person went on to say, it's very, we're just going to make sure everything is perfect. But when you don't have the resources or manpower, that pressure and the relationship is not amiable.
1: Yeah, the picture that we got from the former employees we spoke with is just Bad vibes in the Secretary of State's office right now. And a lot of people have said, too, that the office is getting more political. They point to the decision by LaBrosse earlier this year to leave Eric, which is that national group that helps states combat double voting and things like that. Election, a couple of former employees told us that the elections team was blindsided by that decision. And so, and the communication with local boards allegedly has not been great either. And so it's just, Things are rough in there right now. And some former staff has said because of that, it's led to mistakes, like what we saw over the summer with the ballot error for the August issue one ballot.
0: Yeah. And so Frank didn't want to comment for the article, but his office did give you a statement, right? What was their sort of response to all this? Yeah. So his uh, spokesperson said,
1: look, we have supports in place to help our employees. We know it's a tough time to be an election official, but we ask a lot of them because this is important work. They also said that the claims by former employees are politically motivated. Yeah, so she feels like the timing is just convenient. He's obviously running for U.S. Senate now and sort of painted it
0: as this campaign to smear his name in the midst of this race. Our fourth and final topic is abortion. So there was uh, an analysis that came out this week looking at abortions in Ohio in 2022. And Jesse put together lots of charts and interesting graphs on everything from total abortions for Ohioans versus out-of-state patients, weeks gestation, race, age. Basically, every demographic question you could have about who gets an abortion in Ohio. So, for example, when Ohio's heartbeat bill was in effect for a few months last year, fewer than 2,000 abortions were performed and only 20 of those occurred because the patient obtained an exemption for medical emergencies.
1: It was interesting to see the reaction from groups on both sides of the abortion debate. Opponents of abortion basically said, look, these kinds of laws work. Abortions decreased. And advocates for access said look, this is what happens when there are really restrictive laws in place. Pregnant people in Ohio can't get the medical treatments that they need.
0: Yeah. The other interesting thing is we don't necessarily have clear numbers on like, the number of Ohioans who go out of state for an abortion. But coming in, it was interesting that there was a 17% increase in the number of out-of-state patients who came to Ohio in 2022. And that's probably because like, several neighboring states have much stricter laws.
1: Yeah, it's weird, ironic, whatever word you want to use that for a period of time there last summer, Ohioans were leaving Ohio to get abortions. And now because of the temporary hold on the six week ban, you know, that that's reversed. Indiana, for example, instituted some pretty strict abortion bans after Roe was overturned. So it'll be interesting to see if issue one passes in November, what the numbers will look like in the future especially for those out of state ones and if ohio kind of becomes a refuge of sorts for for people who are seeking abortions in states like indiana and kentucky
0: yeah that'll be interesting given the like republican control of the legislature and like our state offices to have some of like the most permissive abortion laws in the region it'll be it'll be interesting for to see how the state legislature reacts given that it's a constitutional amendment they can't change Right. And it's with the
1: Midwest. I mean, up until now, before Ohio's ban was blocked, Illinois was kind of an island of more permissive abortion laws in the Midwest. But November, that could
0: change. And one more thing before you go, Haley and I just helped host a forum on issue two with Spectrum News, and we got to ask questions about the financial health and legal implications of legalizing recreational marijuana. The one hour forum is going to air on Sunday night on Spectrum, and then it'll be available on the Dispatches website starting Monday, and you can just watch it anytime through Election Day. So I thought it was really good. I think it's worth watching if you still have questions about recreational pot. I agree. I think in some
1: ways, the discussion over issue two has flown under the radar a little bit because of the abortion amendment. So definitely check out the forum and we'll also be continuing to cover issue two through election day.
0: All right. Well, this is me signing off for the last time as your host of OPE. I hope you will continue listening to Haley. I know that I sure will. And I wish you the best of luck. We will miss you. Ohio Politics Explained is brought to you by the USA Today Network Ohio Bureau. You can find us on Twitter at Ohio Explained. And if you want to learn more about any of the topics we covered, check us out online at any of the newspapers in our (laughs) network, like ToshokinTribune.com. That's C-O-S-H-O-C tribunecom